0: The first lesson this morning is from Job, chapter 42, verses 1-10. through Then Job answered the Lord, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, for which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer, not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has done. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had had before. Here ends the reading of this word.
1: Amen. Tenth chapter of Mark, we continue. We're all the way to the 46th verse. It's already taken us about three weeks to get through this chapter, but there's a lot going on. Today we finish up the tenth chapter of Mark, 46 through 52. Jesus and the disciples came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Quiet your hearts with me in prayer. May the words of my mouth may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord, our strength, our Redeemer. Amen. Well, we're wrapping up Job as well as the 10th chapter of Mark, and when we get to the end of the book of Job, everything turned out okay, right? Nothing to see here, move on, it's all just worked out. Job had a really bad time, but that bad time has come to an end. He got more than twice of what he had before, so it's all wrapped up, right? In fact, in the book of Job, there's another several verses that are tacked on beyond what Jennifer read to us. They were written probably hundreds of years after the Job story. And it says that Job lived another 140 years after all of the unpleasantness, and he had uh, 10 kids, he had three beautiful daughters, they were so beautiful that they're even named in the book, and the seven sons are not. Uh, He became so wealthy that he was able to divide his estate among his ten children. It was like uh, the Walton family, I mean Sam Walton's family. He was the wealthiest man in North America until he decided to divide up his estate between his children and that created six of the ten wealthiest people in America at the time. He was done. It was clean. All's well that ends well except I want to squeeze one more little sermon out of Job if you can indulge me here three weeks ago I talked about our tendency to make sense of things that don't necessarily make sense our brains try to calculate the absurd and turn it into the reasonable if I'm not okay with something then I want to go ahead and figure out some explanation as to why it can be understood even if I'm making that up. And so if somebody is suffering, just like Job's friends, uh, we all try and come up with some reason for their suffering. They made bad choices. They have bad habits. Uh, They're they're, they're just immoral, and so bad things are happening. because. But I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that because, quite frankly, I know far too many people who genuinely suffer, and I can't come up with any good reason for it. It doesn't seem to describe the world in which I live, in which the just do not get their just deserts and the unjust do not get their just punishments. Some people are really awful human beings and they die rich and happy. And that is how the world that I live in happens to work. And no matter how much one calculates it doesn't seem to just be okay if the end of the story has some sort of heaven or hell tacked on to it. As someone struggling with post-traumatic stress can tell you, just because things got better doesn't fix the damage done when I suffered. What if we got the end of the book of Job and it ends where it started, with God and Satan having a conversation. And God says, see, Job was faithful through it all. What if then Satan said, yeah, I bet he reject you if you did it to him twice. Job spent the remainder of his days looking over its shoulder. It happened the first time. Could it happen Again. And it was in that context that we realized that sometimes the world is a painful place in which to live. And that our scripture is honest about that. I skipped Job for a week. So last week I picked up part two. Part two was the conversation in which God tells Job that Job is little and God is big job grabs God by the lapels in effect and says how dare you do this to me and God says how dare you question again it's not emotionally satisfying but it is profoundly meaningful that we have a God that listens even when it makes no sense And I reminded you that there is a God that listens so much that God in Christ Jesus came to senseless suffering so that we would know in our suffering that God is not far away. So for our third installment on my trilogy from the book of Job, I want you to travel with me to our gospel lesson. We're going to go a couple of millennia forward in time and about a thousand miles north and west from the town of Uz to the town of Jericho. For this particular day, Mark's Gospel tells us, Jesus and his disciples were entering into the town when a blind beggar with a curious name of Bartimaeus. Timaeus was a Greek name. The name Timaeus, and we say that Bartimaeus was the son of Timaeus, the name Timaeus meant most honored. Curiously enough, the name Timaeus also had appeared in a Platonic dialogue 360 years before Jesus. Now, bear with me, it's not going to be as dry as that introduction sounds like, the Platonic dialogue of Timaeus. Just bear with me here. What we do know from archaeological records is is that it was one of the dialogues that existed well into the 2nd century A.D. as part of a standard Greek curriculum. It was not accidental that someone would be named Timaeus after the name of the most honored participant in the Platonic dialogue by the same name. In that dialogue, Timaeus waxes eloquent about creation and how the god, the Demiurge, had inflicted order and mathematical precision on all things such that we would look at what used to be chaos, but because of the god's imprint of order and wisdom and logic had made the world an orderly place and that we in our being should attempt to replicate that same sense of order that was... Timaeus' argument except in the story of Mark it's not about Timaeus the most honored it's about his son Bar Timaeus this prefix bar means son of and so it's a Hebrew prefix on a Greek name son of Timaeus son of most honored and there is this interesting little inside joke in the text the son of the one who believed beauty and perfection could be found in the order of all things had a Hebrew son who was blind, unclean, cursed. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> Barnabas stands for every kid that has been an embarrassment to his own family, a shame to the community. That's the difference between family and teams. If somebody gets to be an embarrassment on a team, you can kick them out. But when it's family, oh we're good, upstanding people here, we think. We don't have any alcoholism in our family. We don't have any mentally ill in our community or developmentally disabled or physically impaired or impoverished or homeless except the whole time we're trying to draw the curtain around the marginalized all of the contradictions to that the Bartimaeus is a little embarrassing let's get back to the beauty of the Timaeus we keep the Bartimaeuses of our lives off to the side but then they keep screaming as this blind man does in Jericho betraying our imperfection to an otherwise perfect world in fact that day of Jericho the Son of Honor, the offspring of the orderly universe, screams out for Jesus to have mercy on him so relentlessly that in verse 48 we read, many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Shh, Barnabas, pipe down. Son of David, have mercy on me. Barnabas, shh. Son of David, have mercy on me. Barnabas, shut up 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 <coughs> like that moment when the prelude stops and Jesus all he hears is shut up echo through the streets he stops he has a request that the defective one become the center of his attention don't you hate that when it happens <laughs> you have spent all your time your effort your energy your money trying to make a good impression and then the one thing that you couldn't fix becomes the center of attention. I was driving to church this morning, so I didn't mean to put this in my sermon. It put itself in my sermon. And I look down, and I, I have a hole in my shirt right, right there. Fortunately, I wear black undershirts for just such an occasion. If I had a white undershirt on, it would... But it's like you know, I, I look pretty good. I just had these trousers tailored back from the... And what do I do? I put on a shirt with a hole in it. It's like all you're going to see is that hole. Well, now that's all you're going to see. They completely betray the illusion that we have created a thoughtful and beautiful and pretty world. And there, unembarrassed, unafraid, without pretense, stand Jesus and Bartimaeus in the town square. And this is the exchange that we need to see. Jesus asks, What do you want me to do for you? Now, the rest of Jericho wanted Jesus to be impressed, to laud the city for its order, its crime control, its urban renewal, its rebuilt structures, its restaurants, and its little shops. The rest of the town wanted a good review on Yelp by Jesus and the disciples. They would look back on their time there and go, Ah, Jericho! Jesus, in turn, brushes that all aside and deals with the most obvious manifestation of imperfection. The son of order and honor is afflicted with blindness, poverty, homelessness. Bartimaeus responds with what sounds so obvious to us. Blind Bartimaeus says, I want to see. Do you get it? Do you? Do you get the joke here? Everyone else in Jericho, everyone else was sharing in a mutual conspiracy of shared blindness. Don't see the beggar Jesus. Don't point out the poor guy. Don't Point out the impaired one. Don't see the crazy guy. Don't hear him screaming. Don't attend to our imperfections. Bartimaeus was blind through no fault of his own, but the town was blinded by their mutual choice. Who in the end gets to see? Who in the end is healed by his faith? You see, the only ones who get to be healed are the ones that will admit that they are blind. So let's rush back. A thousand miles southeast, a couple of millennia, back in the town of Uz. What does Job say in verse forty two or chapter forty two, verse five? He says to God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. That's where the text historically ended his fortune was restored when he prayed for his friends when we see a suffering job a blind beggar the obvious imperfections of the world around us where do our eyes track do we look around for some moral explanation a cosmic justification to shield our eyes from the pain of others do we look away as if they don't exist look through them as if they're not even there the only one who gets to see that day in Jericho was the one who was willing to admit he was blind. And Job's fortunes were restored when he prayed for his friends. What do you see? Do you want to see? Can you live with what you really See? Or is it somehow strangely more comfortable to stay blind? God, give us eyes to see. Amen. Stand with me and join in our affirmation of faith the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty,
0: maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ.